You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Lord, as your word invites us to behold the Lamb of God, he takes away the sins of the world. Lord, I thank you that we can gather together as the church, as the body of Christ, to behold you, to stand in your presence with confidence because of the mighty work of Jesus Christ who shed his blood for us at the cross and rose from the dead, defeating our sin and death. Lord, I thank you so much that we we can stand here and, and dwell in your presence and learn from you, Lord God, as we dig into your word now. I pray that you would um, open our ears to hear and our eyes to see what you have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Um, uh, before we start, I would also, I know Brad already said thank you, but I would also personally like to thank the youth leadership team for uh, taking a bunch of our youth on that uh, retreat this weekend. Um, it, my son was among them, and so it was really quiet among, uh, at our house. So. <clears throat> I'm going to talk about him in a bit, but he doesn't know how to stop talking. <sighs> As uh, you know, Robbie would testify, I don't think he got any sleep last night. So, yeah, no, I really appreciate the youth leadership team. It's great to, for the youth to go on trips like this, and, and it's an opportunity to grow in friendship with each other, but grow closer to the Lord as they're, they're challenged. Uh, so, yeah, it's amazing. All right, um, over the last month, we as a church have been going through chapters 12 and 13, and I want to thank Pastor uh, Brad and Pastor Blair for all the work that they have done in, in their study and in their prayer and in their teaching of chapters 12 and 13. Um, and uh, we've been learning all about the gifts of the Spirit, which uh, we've been learning are given to every believer as God chooses so that we have the opportunity to encourage one another in our faith and build up the body of Christ in love. And uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing that theme as we move into the first half of chapter 14, which, which we'll find is a, is a chapter that helps us apply the use of specific gifts like prophecy and tongues appropriately and, and effectively, uh, mostly talking about within the context of the church gathering, like, like this morning. Like we are today. So that is what we're going to be talking about this morning, and um, it'll be fun. Uh, it'll be good. <laughs> you know, in the topic of prophecy in tongues, everybody has like, people are over here, people are over here. So as I'm preaching, if you're like, I don't know, like, don't like rage and, and, and rage quit and like leave the church or whatever, you know, like, I don't think you guys will do that. You guys aren't like that, but I'd love to, ta- I'd love to go for coffee with you and talk about stuff if, if you want. All right. Um, anyways, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 25. Here is what Paul is speaking to the, Corinthi- the church in Corinth, and um, obviously we remember that the church in Corinth had a lot of issues, a lot of divisions, um, they were doing a lot of things in selfish interest and in pride and all those things, and so this is another issue that, that they were dealing with. So 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 25, um, he's bringing um, biblical, God-inspired correction to them and encouragement as well. So here we go. 
He says to them, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues... How will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? And in the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, doubtless, many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you. Since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to this people by people of other tongues, and by the lips of foreigners, and even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So speaking in tongues, then, is intended as a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church assembles together, and all are speaking in tongues, and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and and some unbeliever or, or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. I love how that ends. God is really among you. Isn't that what we should want to hear from unbelievers or outsiders when they wander in through the door? God is really among you. 
I, I remember one time specifically about, uh, it's about four or five years ago, four to five, not 45, I'm not that old, um, yet, getting there. A man came uh, wandering into the church right near the end of the service on a Sunday morning, and, and I found out later after talking to him, he'd just been released from prison. Uh, I don't know what for, but he was just released, and uh, I think he came wandering in here at about the time that we were singing our, our last worship song of the service. And so he didn't hear the sermon or anything like that. He just came wandering in. <clears throat> and almost immediately, I was standing in the back just waiting to come back up to do the benediction or something. And, and, and so I saw him come in and, and he was listening for a couple of minutes. And then almost immediately, the presence of God and, and the truths that, about him that we were singing in worship hit him so hard. He just like broke down right at the back door, just tears. You know, it's a really hardened guy, right? And, and he's just breaking down. He's like, I don't even know why I'm crying. And in that moment, you know, I, I went up to him, of course, and in that moment I had the opportunity to, to pray with him and, and share Jesus' grace with him, which, which then led him to confessing some, some sin and, and shame and guilt that he had been carrying so heavily for so many years. It was, it was an awesome moment. It was, it was amazing to see. But um, what's also encouraging to think about was that, yeah, as he walked in, in his spirit, he felt that God was really among us. Isn't that the point of the church? Isn't that why we're here? Isn't that, isn't that why like, we, we, don't, we don't just get saved by Jesus and then taken right up with to him into heaven. That's why he leaves us here, right? To be the light of Christ for the world to see until he comes again. That's the point of the church. And that's God's design for us, to be the fragrance of him everywhere. And so, again, it was amazing to see this play out on that particular morning. But is that always our motivation when we come to church? And shouldn't it be our motivation that whenever we come together as the church to A, be the fragrance and image of Christ for, other, for others to see, and B, to build up the church so that we can be ever more effective at doing it. A, to be the fragrance and image of Christ to others, and B, to build up the church so that we can be ever more effective at doing it. Amen? Like, I'm sure you all had varying reasons as to why you walked in through these doors this morning. Maybe you were forced to come by your parents or um, it's just tradition, it's something you do or you had to volunteer, you know, uh, somewhere or, or maybe you did come to serve and bless others. I don't know, right? But Paul reminds us here that for mature believers, when we're adult in our thinking, as it says, you know, making God known and building up the body of Christ should be at the top. Those are the priorities. And the good news, of course, of what we've been learning over the past month is that God has also given us everything that we require to do this. He's given us his word, the Bible, and his indwelling spirit within us, right? J.D. Greer, in his book, Jesus Continued, which is a great book, he writes it like this. He says, God intends all of us to be his vessels in the church. This is the important part. Not just pastors and leaders. What? It's crazy. Mind blown. God intends, I'm just kidding. 
God intends all of us to be his vessels in the church, not just pastors and leaders. A New Testament church service consists of three things. Three things. The word of God, the people of God, and the spirit of God. The spirit of God puts the word of God in the mouths of the people of God. And when that happens, Paul says, believers are built up and even unbelievers recognize that God is alive and at work in his church. So the Spirit of God puts the Word of God in the mouths of the people of God. That, that's also a great way uh, to define the gift of prophecy, which, which Paul's so eager about in our passage from this morning. Um, but we'll get back to that in a sec. But, but this reminds us, right, that, that God's desires, God, God desires to work in us and to speak His Word through us in order to make his glory known and to build up the church. Again, for his glory. And so here's the question when, when we meet together. What words are actually coming out of our mouths? What message are we actually sending to one another in the world? You know, are, are they words that build up, or are they words that really don't contribute to anything? Or are they words that put down, like you know, grumbling or boasting or spreading rumors or judging? or showing off, whatever. Corinthians had a problem with that, right? Ultimately, <clears throat> do we come to church on a Sunday morning expecting and praying for the Holy Spirit to use our lips to declare his word for the sake of others? Or, or do we think, you know, that's not my job. That's not my job. I'm just going to sit in the chair and let, let the pastor do it. I'll let the worship leader do it. But it is your job. This, this is what Paul's saying that we should be doing as Christians. He's saying that from a foundation of love and in pursuit of love, he says we should be eagerly seeking the gifts, especially the gift of prophecy, in order to build up the church so that the world will know that God is among us. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. So he's saying, don't, don't just seek gifts for gifts' sake, just to have them or whatever, you know, or for some self-centered or individualistic experience. No, seek the gifts in order to build up the church and bless others, because in doing so, that's when we will make him known. That's when an outsider can come in and, and, and say amen to what's going on. So this is what Paul's getting underneath it all. If you haven't caught on already, the mature Christian comes to church not only to be fed personally, but primarily with a desire for the Spirit of God to work in them for the good of the community. It seems, though, that there, there were those in the church of Corinth who had different priorities, self-centered priorities, which Paul ends up calling childish and I think we can safely surmise from the context of the whole letter and, and from this passage as well that they'd probably been placing the gift of tongues and, and those who had it on, on a pedestal, so to speak. And it's highly possible and, and likely even that those with the gift of tongues, which is a more flashy gift to be sure, were probably claiming that they had the greater, more spiritual gift and maybe even using it to puff themselves up or impress others in the church, or what have you. But Paul's like, no, prophecy, the gift of prophecy 
is way more beneficial. Now, let's not misinterpret, though. Paul's not dissing the gift of tongues here. Okay? He, in fact, he says that he himself practices it more than they do. But why did he have to tell them that? Probably because they hadn't really seen him do it. It's probably something that he's practicing in private. And so his issue with them using tongues isn't that they're speaking in tongues. It's, it's how and why they're practicing it. But first, for those who don't really know what tongues is, I think Pastor Blair uh, went through it a little bit with you guys a couple weeks ago. But, um, you know, simply speaking, it's when, when the Holy Spirit causes a believer to utter speech that praises God in a different language, whether that's an earthly language or, or a heavenly one. The greatest example, of course, occurred on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God rested on the disciples and then they began to speak about the wonders of God in, in a multitude of different languages and tongues. And so this can be a sign of, of the Spirit moving in us and among us, right? So Paul's not really concerned with, with the Corinthians speaking in tongues. In fact, he also says it would be great if everyone could do it. Again, his concern lies with the fact that they... Uh, had seemingly been elevating the gift of tongues during public worship to the disregard and even to the detriment of the church as a whole. So the underlying issue here was that they were prioritizing their individualistic experience over and above the communal call to, the, to build up the body of Christ. So 1 Corinthians 14, 2-5 says, for the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the Spirit. It's great. On the other hand, though, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater, probably means more beneficial, than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So again, this is within the context of a church gathering, right? So speaking tongues is good, if not, if not great, for, for individuals as they allow the Spirit to edify them and, and draw them closer to God. If you've been given that gift, then awesome. But yet, at the same time, he's saying that they need to recognize that in most cases, it isn't very helpful for anyone else around them, right? And, and the reason Paul writes that it isn't very helpful to anyone else is because no one can understand what they're saying. It's, it's kind of a, you know, simple, right? And just like how he says you can't tell what song is playing if someone is just playing notes randomly on their instrument. Or how a soldier won't know if they should retreat or advance or prepare for battle if the, the bugle call isn't clearly played. And then he says right after that, for, in, in verses 9 to 11, he says, In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. 
For example, if I were to say in Latin, like the Catholic priests of old during their mass, seek enum delexite deus mundum, ut filium suum ungenitum derete, ut omnis qui credite in eom non periet sed habiet vitam eternum. I told Brad what that meant already. He knows. Was that helpful to you? Did, did you did, what did you learn? Nothing. What's that? I, no, my, my Latin is horrible. If, if a person who could speak Latin heard me say that, it, they wouldn't get anything out of that either. No, that was horrible. It wasn't helpful at all, right? And... For those who are wondering, you might have caught the eternum at the end. That means eternal. So that was actually John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Yeah, there we go. Wasn't that much more helpful? Why? Because it's now interpreted in a language you understand and is therefore intelligible. When it was in Latin, it was still the gospel truth, right? It was still good. It was still true, but you just couldn't understand it. It wasn't very beneficial. Uh, it actually reminds me of my, my oldest son, Liam. I, I mentioned him earlier. Uh, he was one and a half years old, and, and of course, he couldn't speak English yet at that point. But yet, even so, he was always a talker. His mouth was always moving. And uh, one day in particular, we were sitting in the backyard. He was sitting on the, on the steps of our, our deck, and um, he just started to go off, you know, blabbing on and on to us with this very serious, matter-of-fact kind of look on his face and tone in his voice. He's like, you know, like he's just going, right? And, and, and we could tell that what he was saying was probably really profound, like, surely the great philosophers and apologists and wise men of Babylon would have been humbled by what he was explaining to us. I mean, this was surely mind-blowing stuff. We, we were captivated. And the only problem, of course, was we didn't understand a word of it. And therefore, it wasn't education or helpful for us to all. And, and after he was done, we're like, um, you know, we should probably go change your diaper, you know. <laughs> so... In the same way, you know, and as I've said, while speaking in tongues is great for edifying the individual believer as the Spirit gives them utterance of speech and in glory to God, it's, it's basically useless for any, anyone else unless, of course, Paul says there's someone to interpret it. And we're going to get in, into that more next week, so look forward to that. Um, so I'm not going to go into details about that today. But furthermore, Paul also stresses, though, that, that speaking in tongues in a public setting maybe even if there is an interpreter, just, but it can actually have a negative effect on some people and that it could turn away uh, outsiders or, or unbelievers because it can seem so uh, weird and, and off-putting hearing someone speaking in a language they don't normally speak in. And uh, this, of course, is exactly what occurred on the day of Pentecost, uh, people witnessing the event started to, to say that the ones speaking in tongues were probably drunk. They're like, oh, they must be drunk, speaking in all these different languages. And it wasn't until Peter, also in the power of the Holy Spirit, professed to them 
the Word of God with clarity and understanding about what was going on and who Jesus was, that some of them then understood and were receptive to the gospel. For, again, without clarity, there's no understanding in our minds. And without clarity, people are going to remain in darkness or be turned off. And so I can't stress this enough, that if we're not clear with the gospel message and, and the word of God, if, if we're speaking like foreigners, as Paul writes, we're causing unbelievers to remain in their sin and destruction. That's a big deal. Um, I've, I've actually personally experienced seeing this negative reaction to um, tongues in, in a public church setting um, a few times, actually, but specifically, there was one time in my late teens, I often brought a non-Christian friend to my youth group, and it was at a more charismatic-type church. I lo- love that church. It's great. It was a big part of my faith and growing up. Um, so I brought him to this youth group, and, and, and he was enjoying the services. And, you know, I felt like God was slowly working on his heart. So it was exciting. And, but then one youth night, the youth pastor preached on being baptized in the Spirit and was encouraging everyone to start speaking in tongues. You know, I'm sure his heart was right, but he, you know, this is what happened. He encouraged everyone to start speaking in tongues at the same time, and, and some did, and some didn't, and, and, and some might have been legit, and some were probably just some youth trying to fit in. Um, who knows, though? I'm not the judge of that, but, but it was crazy. It was kind of weird. And then I saw my friend sitting in his chair near the back of the room with this, you know, horrid, horror and, and confusion on his face. And I, and I went up to him and asked him, what's wrong? Like, are you okay? And he just, you know, with his eyes wide, was just like, this is too weird. I could never be a part of this. And lo and behold, he never wanted to come to youth group again. It's heartbreaking. It, it turned him off, just as Paul predicted it would here in this passage. And so we have to be mindful of this. And so, again, there's a reason that Paul calls those who are liberally practicing the gifts of tongues in church without a thought for others as childish. As Craig Blomberg writes, a preoccupation with tongues without concern for their effect on oneself and others is childish. Mature faith never stresses the non-cognitive at the expense of the cognitive. And I don't think we have a big problem with, you know, speaking in tongues here at the church, but this is the underlying warning, I think, that, that if we come to church only concerned with our own individualistic experience without a care for anyone else or how it might turn people away or confuse them, we are being childish. We might think we're being real spiritual, but we're being childish. There are exceptions here, of course, like if you're in a season of hurting, it's a different matter, right? We all have seasons where we don't have much to give and we just need to focus on our own personal spiritual or mental health. We need to receive that. That's obviously not what I'm getting at here, right? What, what I'm saying is that this should cause us to ask ourselves, again, not just concerning tongues, but, but in every way that we approach and take part in church, how and in what ways 
Have we become so concerned with our own individualistic experience of worship and being fed that that we've inadvertently created barriers for other believers or unbelievers to experience God's presence and hear the gospel? And are there ways in which we worship or or participate in a self-seeking way that have caused us to ignore our God-given mandate to feed and serve others and to build up the church? I ask you to think about those things seriously. So I can't answer them for you. Again, Paul's not dissing the gift of tongues and, and the importance of personally, being personally edified. That's, that's good. He's merely asking the Corinthians to think thoughtfully and practically about what's actually better and more beneficial in a public worship setting. Speaking the word of God to people with clarity in order to bring encouragement and understanding for the betterment of the church, or speaking in a tongue that no one not only understands, but that could also turn people off from hearing the gospel. The underlying question again is what's your priority when you come to church? Me or the whole? Myself or the community? And he tells us what conclusion he's, he's come to in 1 Corinthians 14, 18 to 19 when he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So again, Paul's stressing that in a public setting, the intelligibility and clarity of the Spirit through prophecy is way more effectual in saving and building up others in truth and love. And uh, theologian Warren Wearsby about that says, the principle of edification encourages us to major on sharing the Word of God so that the church will be strengthened and grow. The principle of understanding reminds us that what we share must be understood if it is to do any good. The private use of spiritual gifts may edify the user, but it will not edify the church. And Paul admonished us to excel to the edifying of the church. So that's the priority, right? And on that end, then, Paul writes that, you know, one of, the, one of the ways that we can excel in not only edifying the church but seeing people saved is through practicing the gift of prophecy. And the Apostle Peter, during his sermon on the day of Pentecost, he quotes the prophet Joel when he says about God, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. It's from Acts 2.17. So prophecy is, is a mark of the current age of the Spirit, right? And again, like all gifts, it may not be for everyone or experienced all of the time, but Paul urges the church to be eager for it, to be eager for it. But what is it? Well, the passage tells us that the gift of prophecy is a, uh, is this a specific word given by the, the Holy Spirit, which is meant to strengthen, encourage, and console people in their faith, or to even convict and draw people to repentance. Ultimately, it's, it's going to be a timely and fitting word that's, that's given uh, to draw people closer to the Lord. And to be fair, um, many people these days are 
leery and, and suspicious of the gift of prophecy, mostly because it's so often used erroneously or, or falsely. Uh, a lot of people are claiming to be prophets. You know, all they need is a Facebook page. That's their soapbox to stand on, and boom, you're a prophet. Whoa. So um, let's talk about what the gift of prophecy isn't. It's good to know that. Uh, first of all, it's not necessarily about predicting the future. Uh, Christian prophecy isn't fortune-telling, okay? Uh, it may involve guidance for someone's future. I've, I'd, I've had people prophesy over me and, and say, you know, we think you're, God's calling you into ministry. We feel like God's calling you into ministry or whatever. Um, and that was huge for me. Um, so it may involve guidance for someone's future. But ultimately, you know, it's, it's going to be a timely word that spurs someone on in their Christian walk. And also, and this is important, the most important thing that we need to understand, lest we move into heresy, that giving a prophetic word to someone on this side of the cross in no way measures up to or compares to the authority of the prophets in the Bible who spoke as the mouth of God himself or to the words of Scripture, which are the inerrant word of God. Nothing can replace them or be added to them. Okay? The gift of prophecy will never bring new revelation apart from Scripture or ever be in opposition to it. That's important to know. Many people have joined cults because they didn't understand this. In fact, it's the opposite of that, actually. The, the gift of prophecy is actually grounded in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit who gives us this gift is, is also given to us to bring us into all truth and give us fresh revelation or understanding of the Word of God. And so when someone is given a, a word by the Spirit uh, to, to share, that quite often it'll be a specific verse or, or fresh revelation of a passage of Scripture that's been placed on, on their heart, uh, which they're meant to share with someone or a group of people at the right time to lift them up or, or to give them guidance. And, and I think in the same way, the Spirit might also give a specific word for someone else which aligns with Scripture in order to strengthen, encourage, and console them in their faith, as Paul writes. For example, you might get a feeling on a, on a particular Sunday morning that the, uh, from the Spirit uh, to approach someone who's been harboring, say, shame or something, and, 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 and God's calling you to go to them and, and tell them, you know, I feel like the Holy Spirit's placed in my heart to let you know that Jesus forgives you and wants to set you free from your guilt and shame. So it's not necessarily Scripture, but it's, it aligns with Scripture, and it's something that that person needed to hear in that moment, right? Uh, furthermore, as we read in, in verse 25, the gift of prophecy uh, is also enacted when the Spirit reveals the, the secrets of someone's heart and urges us to call that out in order to, to bring them to a place of repentance and freedom in Christ. And if, if we're truly prophesying God's word, then unbelievers will recognize their sin and be saved. And they'll say, God is among you, right? And so again, Paul says we should be eager to practice this. Because when we do, the Holy Spirit brings clarity of God's word for us and builds up the church in unity. And there's, there's a way that we're meant to practice this in, in church setting, and that'll be for next week as well. But uh, for now, here's the thing. If, if we are truly eager to practice the gift of prophecy, it's also going to be important for us then to be prudent in our study of the Bible. 
which again is God's written and solely authoritative word for how can we practice discernment in what to share or how will the spirit be able to bring to mind a specific passage or verse that someone needs to hear if, if we don't know it, right? So we need to be uh, proficient in, in our Bible reading and prudent in our Bible reading as well. Furthermore, if we're eager to prophesy, we should also be prudent in our prayer life. For how can we be receptive to the Spirit if we're not practiced at being receptive to the Spirit? Makes sense. Um, but again, as, as I've said, there are many people who have used and abused prophetic words for their own gain or, or to manipulate or to try and sound spiritual so they um, make stuff up or, or, you know, for whatever other reasons. And this, and this has caused a lot of damage and even death. Um, and so we need to be careful of what the Bible would call false prophets. We need to have discernment. Uh, for example, you know, a couple of years ago, a bunch of uh, notable or so-called prophets uh, from America, which way is America? I don't know, that way? This way? Um, prophesied that Donald Trump would, would uh, win the election again. And he didn't. And um, they're clearly false prophets. Yet people still follow them. I don't get it. Um, or one time I heard a story that, and this is a story that was told to me as true, but I don't know if it is, but it's still a good example, okay? Um, I heard a story that a self-proclaimed prophet had rolled into town here in Lethbridge to speak at a church, and during the event, supposedly he prophesied over this married couple, and he told them that God wanted them to move to California and work for a ministry there. And so, that's what they did. They sold all their stuff, and they uprooted their lives and left, and then, you can probably guess what's gonna happen next. When they got there, you know, that specific ministry was like, we don't know you, and we don't need any help. <laughs> there are no positions available here. Uh, in other words, they uprooted their life simply because they chose to believe this prophet at face value, they probably thought they were being faithful. But that's not faith. That's foolishness, right? Um, I can also imagine that this so-called prophet was probably laughing all the way to the bank after the offering that evening without a care about how he destroyed people's lives. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful. Anyone can claim that, that they're speaking on behalf of the Lord. So again, we should test all things, right? Primarily against Scripture, but also in prayer and with trustworthy counsel. And so while 1 Thessalonians 5 reminds us that we should never despise prophecy, it's also prudent and wise to still use discernment to make sure the prophecies are legit before just believing every single word that someone gives you outright. You know, if someone gives you a word of encouragement and, and just say, you know, thank you, that's awesome, I'm going to go think on this and pray on this and, and dig into scripture about this. Ultimately, though, we shouldn't be afraid, though, to practice the gift of prophecy just because some people have used it to manipulate or abuse others. 
Besides, there, there's potential for abuse and misuse and everything. Like, we still read our Bibles, even though people use and abuse that for their own gain, right? But, again, when the gift of prophecy is used correctly and the gift of tongues, and, and when they're motivated by love for Jesus and others, they're incredibly important gifts given to us by the Spirit of God to both edify the church and to show the world that God is at work among us. Because again, that's the goal. For God to be at work among us. And he wants to be at work among us and in your lives. So let us be eager for that. And we'll continue this, this uh, topic again next, next Sunday. Uh, but for now, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your goodness, Lord. Again, I thank you for Jesus Christ and for his grace and his mercy and his love, which was poured out for us. And I thank you that you have called us to be a city on a hill, to be your image bearers in this world, Lord. And I thank you that you haven't left us to do it on our own, but you have given us the Holy Spirit indwelling within us to empower us, to lead us into truth, and to give us the gifts we need to build one another up. I pray, Lord, that we would be eager for that, that our goal would be for the world to see us and proclaim God is at work among you. Lord, I pray that you would use us for that. Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness to use the gifts that you have given us so that we can encourage one another and build one another up as you have called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Mm-hmm.